is in labor and apparently is about to lose a child. And from what Janet described to him, Bonnie's life itself is also possibly in danger. Uh, she may not make it either. So the child and the mother are having serious difficulty. So you might remember Janet and her daughter Bonnie and George, of course, as well. Uh, how that thing goes. Another thing that happened this week is Ross LeBaron uh, lost a young daughter. Uh, his 16-year-old son was driving, I guess, and uh, went to sleep at the wheel, apparently, and went off the road. There were quite a few kids, apparently, in the car. Annalisa was like six, seven years old. I don't know exactly. But she didn't make it, and uh, the rest of them were just kind of bruised up and banged around, but uh, she was killed outright. So he called me, I don't know, a couple of days ago and told me about that. So he's kind of going through a rough patch there with that situation. The situation with uh, George's granddaughter kind of brought back to mind a couple of articles I read recently uh, in terms of where we are with the vaccination and all that right now. Uh, as you've probably read, there are an awful lot of people who have had both shots who are still getting COVID-19. It did not immunize them against it, and in fact, may, may make it even easier for them to take it or to get it. But a couple of articles I read recently, including one this morning, indicated that it's dangerous to be around people who have been vaccinated. There are stories, anecdotes going, uh, examples, cases, I don't know what to believe and what not to believe entirely, but they're saying that a man who is at work and is in close enough proximity to a pregnant woman who has had the vaccination that just her breathing and his taking in the air she has breathed can cause his own wife at home to abort as well or to miscarry. And that the vaccination is causing people to be able to pass along all the symptoms that they might be having to people who have not been vaccinated. Now, that's truly scary uh, that someone, that it is that contagious, that it can be passed along apparently that easily. When does it come to the point where we have to totally isolate ourselves? I don't know that. I guess time will tell. It does tell us there in Psalms that a thousand will fall at our side and ten thousand our right hand, but it won't come near us. So I think that's Psalm 91. Uh, God has said he's going to protect his people if we will obey him and serve him. But we are in a situation where this thing is getting worse and worse, and I have no doubt at this point, never have had much, that this is the introduction of the mark of the beast. 
that they are going to make this vaccination thing absolutely mandatory everywhere. And without it, you can't do anything. Uh, and they're coming down more and more with it. I mean, how stupid really are people? You have major politicians and major billionaires like Ted Turner, Bill Gates, uh, different ones of that nature who have said openly and publicly that the population of the earth needs to be reduced by 90% or more. They've made public statements to that effect. And then they introduce, Bill Gates is right in the middle of it, these vaccines that he's making billions off of, and he's already stated that he intends to kill us. Now, where's the disconnect here? Oh, this guy said we need to be killed, and now he gives this vaccine to make us safe. How do you come up with that? I mean, it ought to be, if you've got an IQ of 95, you ought to be able to figure that one out. I wonder if we quite comprehend, brethren, the God and Satan the devil right now have the same immediate goal. They are in agreement. All the way through the Bible, throughout all the prophecies, God has indicated that he is going to cause most people here at the end... It's the force of the prophecies to die. He even says of Israel, there in Ezekiel 5 and other places, one-third of you will die of famine and pestilence, one-third will die by the sword, and one-third will be taken captive, and a sword will go out after them. So God's express intent is to cause over, actually, 90% of Israelites to die, and of the other nations of the world as well. I don't know whether we fully grasp that or not. I mean, I've talked about it a lot. That in order for God to save the world ultimately in the second resurrection, he's going to have to cause them to die now. To save them from themselves and Satan the devil. But since God has shown throughout the Scriptures that His intent is to cause those people to die, I mean, go through the book of Revelation. He turns these angels loose to destroy the people, the fish in the sea, the animals, everything. Seven last plagues are going to reduce it to, apparently, Daniel says, 100 million out of over 8 billion. That's well over 90%. Well over before it's all said and done. Now, I'm not preaching a God of anger and of hate. I don't believe in one. I believe that he ultimately intends to save most of mankind, and certainly, he says, all Israel. Not every individual, but the vast, great majority. So, that's his goal and his purpose, but he knows that they have to die before they're going to be ready to listen. 
Now, Satan, on the other hand, takes it further than that. He wants every human killed and none to be resurrected and be part of the kingdom of God. He wants to take it even further. But now God is using Satan to do a lot of this killing. He's a willing, ready-to-go being who said, just put me on him, I'll kill him. So he's quite willing, and he's using people like Bill Gates and George Soros and Ted Turner and Joe Biden, uh, what's left of him, and others to accomplish that purpose. Now, he's done things like this in the past by having communist dictators and others, Nazis and so on, kill hundreds of millions of people in the last 200 years. So what we are seeing beginning to happen now, make no, no mistake, was well designed, well ahead of time. These vaccinations were prepared long before COVID-19 was finished as a disease to turn loose and ready to turn loose on the world. And why do you think they're pushing it so hard? Did they ever push the flu shots this hard? Nothing else you've seen. They're doing everything they can to get everybody on earth, if it were possible, to take that shot. Because they know that they're going to start dropping like flies at some point, and then it's going to be too late. They lost their opportunity. They could have gotten more of them with this, with this one take now. But that's their goal. That's their purpose. This isn't just happening. It is well thought out, well planned, and I think that they simply designed it in such a way that not too many would drop dead as soon as they took the shot, lest everybody would become horrified. But a certain amount of people die right away because it is such a volatile thing. But it's timed to be released over time. And I've read enough to know that they expect everyone who takes the shot to be dead within three years. That's what they have in mind. And now they say it can be passed along, whether you've had the shot or not, just by being around people who have had it. I don't know how... Accurate a report that is, but I don't think we'll have too long to watch to see if it starts being fulfilled more and more, and more and more people die. You know, in Lebanon, they've had over 800% inflation in the last two years since this thing hit. They're in lines miles long to get some food. In Great Britain, there are many, many stores now that are empty. Did I tell you this one about Klamath, uh, Oregon, Klamath Falls? Their domestic wells are recharged by huge irrigation ditches coming out of the Klamath River for irrigation. And now that they've shut the irrigation down to the farmers, people's wells are going dry. And they have appointments months ahead 
to all the well drillers in the area to come deepen our well or drill us a new well or whatever we need to get us water. So the wait list is months long at this point. And one well driller said, it doesn't matter how long the list is because I can't get pipe to drill a well. I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing to drill your well. I can't get the pipe to put in. This thing is happening faster and faster. I saw an interview yesterday, Salt Lake City Airport. There was a UN official there with official UN clothes on, UN badge, black lady, I don't know if she's from Africa or from here, but she spoke pretty decent English. But a lot of those people over there do, too, in some of those African nations. But here was somebody trying to take her picture. And she kept holding her hand in front of the camera and saying, you can't take pictures here. Well, I'm an American and I can take pictures anywhere I want to. And she says, no, you can't. This airport is now international territory. She said, the United States is outside this building, but inside this building, it is international territory ruled over by the United Nations. That's Salt Lake City. I don't know whether somebody made that whole thing up and filmed it, or whether it's true, but I've heard a couple other reports that the UN is taking over Salt Lake. Uh, that was specifically the airport, but where that goes, we don't know. But I heard one interview last night where it was said that among the high-ranking military brass, they are telling each other now to very quickly get their personal prep done. Not, not for the military, for their families. Go to Costco, go to Walmart, go wherever you have to do and get the food and the water that you need because this thing's coming down fast. Now, they're not saying what's coming down, but something apparently is. Is it a cyber attack? Will transportation stop and food quit being shipped? I don't know. Uh, some kind of a altercation with China? Who knows? But the military, apparently, among the high-ranking brass, recognizes that something is coming down very quickly now. So they're telling each other to get ready. Does that sound like doom and gloom? Well, yeah, I guess so. But I don't know what else to tell you. Because this is what's happening. Now, we went to Deuteronomy 28, I don't know, some months ago. I don't remember just when. And I went through it in fairly extensively, showing the blessings and the cursings. But I want to go back there and just hit a few highlights today. Because we've come along, and quite a long way, since I last addressed this. Let's not even talk about the blessings anymore at the beginning of the chapter. Let's just cut right on down to the chase uh, in verse 15. It shall come to pass, if you will not hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God, to do all His commandments and His statutes, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you, 
You'll be cursed in the city and in the field. So, rural and urban, cursed wherever you are. Will it do you any good to leave the city and run to the mountains? No, because they're going to be cursed everywhere. Cursed shall be your basket and your store. In other words, your food basket, your food bag, your Walmart bag, whatever, uh, isn't going to have much food. Cursed will be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land and your animals. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out, verse 19. And God will send upon you, in verse 20, cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do, till you be destroyed and until you perish quickly because of your wickedness of your doings whereby you have forsaken me. Now, was I expressing God's intent a little earlier or not? Isn't that what this says? The Eternal shall make the pestilence cleave to you until he have consumed you from off the land where you go to possess it. That'd be this land now, uh, which we possess now for over 430 years. And now it is being taken away from us very, very rapidly. The Eternal shall smite you with consumption and with a fever and with inflammation, with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew, and they shall pursue you until you perish. Shall we raise an American flag and sing, God bless America? You're not supposed to spit into the wind, are you? <laughs> Raising that flag and saying, God bless America, to me, is an epithet toward God. He's already told us what He is going to do. And if we raise that flag and say, God bless America, I think we're spitting in His face. He's not going to bless America again until we are totally destroyed and repent. Your heaven that is over your head shall be brass, and the earth that is under you shall be iron. That's pretty much the way it is all over the western United States right now. The reservoirs are getting so low that they're not going to very long be able to produce electricity. They won't be able to produce water. The town of Needles, California, right now, 10,000 people right on the Colorado River, millions of gallons of water going by every hour, but because of treaties, they can't touch it, and they only have one functioning well left. If it goes down, there's 10,000 people who won't have any water, just like that. That's just one little town. Then think about Lake Mead and Lake Powell going dry and see what's going to happen to Phoenix and Tucson and Las Vegas and Los Angeles. No rain. Pacific Northwest, extreme drought. Same with parts of Montana, North and South Dakota. Now, we've been getting some rain here lately, so maybe you think, oh, well, it's not such a big deal. 
Well, it is. It hasn't eased the drought whatsoever. It's because we got a few thunder showers. I mean, I appreciate them, and they're nice, and they make the weeds grow for the animals, but uh, that's about it. But isn't that's what's happening? When you don't have the rain, the sky becomes as brass and the, glad, the land is iron. The Eternal shall make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon you till you be destroyed. This weather is not going to ease. It's going to get worse until we are destroyed. You think the drought's going to be lifted? Forget it. Once God has instituted it and turned it loose and turned the devil loose and turned his minions who try to control the weather loose, it's not going to get any better because their intent and desire is to kill us all. Now, you don't believe in murder and you don't like killing. And you don't want to kill anybody and neither do I. So sometimes it's hard for us to understand that there are people out there who love to kill and want with all their heart to kill us all so that Mother Gaia can oversee her animal world and a few transhumans that are left. That's what they want. That mentality is hard to understand. I know that. But you'll know them by their fruits. He'll cause you to be smitten, verse 25, before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. This nation is going into captivity, and we will be sold as slaves to anybody who wants slaves all nations of the earth. You'll be sold like cattle, even as your children are being sold right now to sex perverts. They're going to start selling us off if we're capable of working. If we're old or crippled or sick, they'll just kill us without God's protection. Your carcass will be food for the fowls of the air and the beasts of the earth. And nobody will scare them away. Verse 27, The Eternal will smite you with the botch of Egypt and with hemorrhoids and with the scab and the itch, whereof you cannot be healed. He'll smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness. Utterly mad. Gone crazy. Don't know up from down. And you won't prosper in your ways, and will only be oppressed and spoiled, and nobody will save you. Then you'll plant and won't gather, if you're even able to plant. Your sons and daughters will be given to another people, in verse 32. The fruit of your land and all your labor shall a nation which you know not eat up, verse 33. Most of our fruit and nut crops right now are being destroyed by drought in California, which supplies about a third of those things.
It just goes on and on. You'll be a byword and astonishment, verse 37, in all nations where God takes you and leads you to go. Verse 42, all the trees and fruit of your land shall the locusts consume. The stranger that is within you shall get up above you very high, and you shall come down very low. Is that happening right now in our nation today, and has it gotten a lot worse in the last two, three, four, five months? To where if you're a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, regular white American, you're persecuted for it. And now they're demanding reparations for all races of people other than white people. And isn't it amazing that a lot of white people are the ones that are using, that are doing this? Biden and a lot of those people in Washington are regular white folks, came from Protestant backgrounds, and yet they're saying that white people need to be destroyed. And anybody that was a Trump supporter needs to be destroyed. So there's 80 million there they want to get rid of. But that's not what they're doing. It's not just that. They're wanting everybody inoculated. Black, brown, white, yellow, it doesn't matter. Get them all vaccinated because we want everybody dead. We'll persecute the ones we don't like the most. But at the same time, we'll kill them all. That's their thinking. Isn't that pretty well what we're reading right here? He'll be the head and you'll be the tail. Verse 45, all these curses shall come upon you and shall pursue you and overtake you until you be destroyed because you would not obey God. It goes on and on. Verse 49, The Eternal shall bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young, and he'll eat everything you got. We're going to be invaded. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be sent into captivity, and foreigners, those tongue we don't understand, will take over this nation. This is not the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the bad news of the kingdom of Satan, which is now being very quickly entrenched upon us. And it has God's approval. He is telling Satan, it's okay. With Job, he says, do everything but kill him. With us, as a nation, he's saying, do everything to them and kill them. Is God's instruction to Satan. Not all of them. Save about eight, nine percent. That's what he told Ezekiel, preach. But he's turned Satan loose. And this thing is happening more and more rapidly as every week goes by. We might as well face it. It's what's coming. It's not what's coming, it's what's here. It's getting worse day by day. 
what we feared is not coming upon us. It's upon us. It'll just get worse and worse and affect us more and more until we until we be destroyed. So it's an increasing thing. It's worse and worse until we're destroyed. Verse 64, And the Lord shall scatter you among all people from one end of the earth even to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. And you'll find no ease, neither shall the sole of your foot have rest. But the Eternal shall give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And your life shall hang in doubt before you. You're going to wonder, will I live through the day? Are they coming after me this time? Instead of the guy standing next to me to chop my head off. And you shall fear day and night and shall have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Would God it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of your heart wherewith you shall fear, and for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. That is the kind of fear of your very life that Americans are going to go through every day in captivity until their number comes up and they indeed are killed. But they'll fear it every day until it happens. He says he'll take you back into the world, Egypt again, with ships. So we're going to be shipped all over the world on ships, container ships, maybe, whatever, freighters, wherever slaves are wanted. They'll ship us all over the world. That's what's coming to America very, very shortly. And we have troops within the nation now. We have troops lined up on the borders now from China and Russia and other places. And the United Nations now coming in. And Joe Biden has invited them in to deal with this race problem, he calls. He's invited them in. We're being betrayed by our own leaders. Just as Jeremiah 50 and 51 said would happen. So it is here. It is upon us. Let's go to Isaiah 28 for a few moments. Isaiah 28. Now, this is talking about Ephraim in particular. I'm not going to go through the whole thing again to prove that this nation is Ephraim. I think we pretty well established that, and I went through a lot of scriptures to show that oh, some years ago, really. Uh, so we don't need to, to redo all that, but there's a brief reminder there in Genesis 48 when God was saying what would happen to each, uh, each tribe. Uh, this, the question of who would be the uh, firstborn came up. And Manasseh was the older son and should have had the birthright. But the hands went the other way. And it was said, I know what I'm doing <laughs> by Isaac. I know what I'm doing because the younger one is going to become greater than the older one. 
And that is indeed what has occurred. The American, or U.S., has become more powerful than Britain ever was. And it's pretty obvious we're the firstborn. You can go to Jeremiah 31. We've been there many times. And it says that they will stand on Mount Ephraim and say, come to Zion. So Zion is within Ephraim and Mount Ephraim. So on and on it goes, and he says there that Ephraim is my firstborn son. It's not Reuben anymore, and it's not Manasseh. It's Ephraim. So when we address these prophecies, they're about this country. Isaiah 28, verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. We looked upon ourselves 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, especially after World War II and being triumphant and so on, as the greatest nation on earth, the most wonderful place, the American dream, the whole world wanted to come to America because it was such a wonderful place. That idea is not entirely dead now, but it's uh, on life support because things have changed. Our glorious beauty has faded. Which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Eternal has a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. And the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower, and as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looks upon it sees, while it is yet at his hand, he eats it up. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty to the residue of his people. So he says right there again, he's going to destroy Ephraim and he will bless and be a crown to the residue or the remnant of his people. And they will stand on Mount Ephraim in Zion and say, come worship God. So the nation's going down, but he's going to protect a few. And you and I want to be among those few that he does protect. There's no getting around these scriptures. Now I mentioned, I think a week or two ago, uh, Hosea and how I did not want to just make a quick reference to Hosea without going into it in more depth and understanding of, of what it's really saying there. Now, you might have a hint already from where we've been so far today. But when I went through that series nearly a quarter century ago of the Minor Prophets, it had come to my understanding, and God, I believe, clearly showed it, that there was a dual fulfillment of these prophecies, that they pertained first to the church, and secondarily to the nation. 
Because God deals with spiritual Israel before He deals with physical Israel. So, at that juncture, in 1997, 1998, when I was going through the Minor Prophets series, and showing primarily how it applied to the church, because that was something that the church had never really recognized nor seen nor applied specifically to the church. Now, we had referred to the prophecies as having to do with the nations of Israel, and we thought this was Manasseh, and Britain was Ephraim at the time, and how that these prophecies, some of which we've read today already, would be coming down on this nation and the other Israelite nations. And that was true. But it hit us right out of left field when we saw the church being destroyed before our very eyes. And even though we had read Revelation 3 about the Laodiceans, we figured that was about them, not us. So it came as a complete and utter shock. And as it began to deteriorate, God began to give some understanding as to why and how, what was going on. So I went through all the minor prophets in detail, one at a time, and showed how those scriptures applied to the church. And indeed, if we go back into Hosea today, which I intend, we're going to begin to see that the things I said a quarter century ago that would be happening to the church and how it applied to the church has indeed occurred. It happened just like these scriptures said they, it would. And now, when we go through there, for the most part, we're not even dealing with the church anymore. It's already occurred. It's already happened. It's done. It's pretty well finished. Now, it has to do with the nation around us. So let's go there and look at it again from that standpoint, which we would, had we looked at it at all back 30, 40, 50 years ago, we would have looked at it from the standpoint of the nation. But it wasn't active living history 50 years ago. You could see little elements of it occurring. You could see possibilities of some of these things might someday happen. But it wasn't there yet. And we were still a very, very proud nation and ruling the world, basically, was the American Empire. We never really called ourselves that, but that's what it was. So let's look at Hosea with a little different perspective than what I put on it 25 years ago and see where we are today because this affects our whole nation and it affects you and me. Just as we read in Isaiah 28, uh, it's about to affect the whole nation, but the residue of his people he's going to take care of. So you'll, see, you'll still see elements of that in here, how he will take care of his people. But as far as what would happen to the church, pretty much a done deal. Now that tells me 
that the understanding that God gave was correct. But it happened just like projected as we went through these and said, this is what's going to happen to the church. And now it has. Now, it says it's going to happen to the nation, and it is. It's getting worse day by day by day. And there's going to come a fall and a crash at some point where it no longer is sort of happening, but it's going to come very, very rapidly. Now, Hosea is the same word in the Hebrew, really, as Joshua, or Jesus. Uh, Yahshua, Yosea, uh, Joshua, it's all the same. And the word means Savior, or Yahweh saves, God saves. So he picked somebody whose name was similar to what our Savior's name would be. <laughs> Same word, really. So this is a message from he who would become the Christ, the true Jesus, from someone with that same name. I've no doubt God lined that up on purpose. He does things like that. Now, Hosea was not one of those prophets like Jonah who had a very, very short message. He prophesied over a long period of time to quite a few different kings. And he was contemporary with Amos, with Isaiah, with Micah, with Joel, with Jonah, and Obadiah. Wrote during the same time that those prophets were also writing. So they had different messages, and in these minor prophets, there's 12 of them, they're like chapters of a book that all fit together, and they fit together in pretty much time sequence all the way through. They did with the church, and they're not finished. Haggai and Zechariah, part of Zephaniah, uh, are not finished with the church yet because there's still things yet that have to be done and be done in great splendor. But starting back here is where the church was when we went through this and progressed book by book through it. I don't know whether I'm going to do that or not, but we'll see. Anyway, this is the word of the Eternal came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So quite a period of time over the reigns of several kings, they got the same message. The beginning of the word of the eternal by Hosea. doesn't give a date. The Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to you a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land has committed great whoredom departing from the eternal. Now this is... Quite a thing that God is asking Hosea to do. He told him, go find yourself a hooker and marry her. That's what he said. And have children by her. Would you think that God would say something like that? 
Well, this is the same God that had Isaiah run around buck naked. It's the same God that had Ezekiel lay on his side for 430 days, each day representing a year, uh, and eat food cooked on cow dung. And other things. But God has something in mind here. This must have come to, as a shock to Hosea when he hears God comes to him. And Hosea, I want you to go marry yourself a whore. Oh, that's unusual. I haven't heard that instruction given to anybody before. Uh, what's this all about? <laughs> you can imagine the questions that might have begun have begun going through Hosea's mind. But he tells him right away, uh, this land, this nation, has gone whoring from God. They've taken other gods. They have other idols. Anything that is put ahead of God is an idol, and in that sense is spiritual whoredom before God. We become that ourselves. Anytime we put our desires, our wishes, which are wrong desires in any way, ahead of God, then that is idolatry. Because God says, worship me this way and do this my way, and we decide we want to do it our way. So if we do it our way, we're putting ourselves ahead of God, which is idolatry. So he's simply telling Hosea, the whole land has committed idolatry. They won't follow me anymore, and they're out whoring after other gods, other desires, other goals, other purposes. They're doing what I told them not to do in Deuteronomy 28. And then he goes on to explain what this is supposed to mean. There's a purpose in God doing this. It's not just something willy-nilly. He thought, well, I think Hosea might enjoy one of those women over there. I'll have him go marry one. It wasn't like that at all. He had an express intent and purpose in mind. They departed from the eternal. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, which conceived and bore him a son. So this is going to be enacted over a several year period of time. The Hosea was going to be there as a prophet through several kingships, and this would be protracted. And what would happen? Well, Hosea understood why it was that he was doing what he was doing. Therefore, his message had to be to the people... I'm doing this, I'm acting this out year by year so that you might see and understand and turn to God and repent. That's always God's purpose, is to cause people to quit their idolatry and come serve Him. So she conceived and gave him a son. Well, this took at least nine months now. And the Eternal said to him, Call his name Jezreel, 
For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. <coughs> the word Jezreel means scattered, or uh, God will sow, or God will scatter or disperse. So he says, this kid is born for the express purpose of being a signal that God is going to destroy the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now this is going to become more and more specific as we go forward in the book of Hosea. He's going to take it from not just Israel, but down to specific prophecies about Ephraim, about this country. Because we're the firstborn, and we're the leader of the rest of Israel, or supposed to be. And we've led them into idolatry. So it's going to get more specific as it goes. But this first kid was there as a sign that God would cause Israel to be destroyed. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So Israel's military would be destroyed. Now translate that as an end-time prophecy to today, and our military will be destroyed. All of our fenced cities or defensed places are going to be taken away. Now, Jeremiah made it clear again that we would be sold out from within. And indeed... The last several presidents have been destroying our military on purpose. Firing conservative military leaders, getting rid of everybody that isn't liberal and wanting to see the nation go down, and filling it with queers and transgenders and all kinds of people who are unqualified to defend a nation. So this is happening as we read this. It hasn't happened by the foreign powers yet, but it isn't far behind. And the UN has already now been invited in. It's not just a threat anymore. It's here. It's here. And she conceived again, and this time had a daughter. And God said to him, call her name La Ruhama. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Uh, the word means not having, let's see, I can hardly read this, my margin, not having obtained mercy in the Hebrew. That was her name, not having obtained mercy. So the first son, he says, this one, this one means I'm going to destroy the kingdom. And then the second child that is born is a daughter and says, I will show no mercy. Now think about that in the terms of uh, Ezekiel's story of the 430 years, which I still believe correctly ended in 2017 in July. And God said that 
Soon after that would come the destruction of this nation. He didn't say it would be immediate. He said it is come, it is near, it is come, it isn't far off, it won't be echoing again of the hills. It's coming. And that's kind of the message that we get right here, isn't it? That this one, this child says it's going down. This child says I'll show no mercy. And that isn't the end of the story. So he's saying this is going to happen in the sequence that I'm laying it out here. <coughs> I'll have no mercy. I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horse, or by horsemen. So he's going to make a difference to some degree between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it would not surprise me that here he may be speaking in terms of spiritual Judah as opposed to physical Judah. Because the Jews themselves have departed from God and long since. And Christ has fellowshiped them at the end of Matthew 23. So, uh, this is coming, I think, on everyone. But this might be, speaking of spiritual Judah here, I will show some mercy. I'm not going to save them by military might. I'm going to save them myself. Now, what he tells us there in Zechariah 2, I will protect. Now, when she had weaned... Lorahama, she conceived and bore a son. So we've got several years in the making here. I don't know how long she nursed him, or her. Then said God, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. And the word Loami means not my people. So we're going through a progression. From a sinful people of God to them being destroyed down the road to I will show no mercy to I don't even consider you my people anymore. Now isn't that kind of what he's done with the church? Sardis is dead now. He says I've saved a few names out of Sardis, but... He does not really consider that organization that has left his people anymore. They have departed so far that they're just gone. And so many have given up and quit. And only a few will endure to the end. So, yeah, we'll make reference here and there to where the church is in all this, even at this point. Well, here we're talking primarily now about the nation. He doesn't consider this nation his people anymore. That's what this says. He says, don't even, in Jeremiah, he says, don't even pray for this people. I'm not listening. They're not my people anymore. They don't even look like me. How could they be my people? My children should look like me. These people don't look like me at all. Must be somebody else's kids. Now, didn't Christ use that same reasoning, that exact same thing with the Jews? He says, you're of your father, the devil. 
My Father in Heaven doesn't recognize you as His children anymore. You're of your father, the devil. Now, that's the way he looks upon this nation at this point. It is a nation of Satan, the devil, which pays no attention to God Almighty in heaven. I will not be your God. Now, some of you may call out and say, come save us. There are some patriots and preppers today who still say, let's call on God and He'll save us. No, He won't. They are living in total delusion. You are not my people, and I will not be your God. So don't even call on me. He hears not sinners. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So he's not saying that this evil that he's pronouncing through Hosea is forever. You're not my people now, and but you will be again. So even here, he's showing mercy and compassion for what his ultimate purpose is. So even in the worst of God's disparagement, he says, eventually I'm going to take care of you. Now there's a concerned living God But he doesn't say, you're not going to go through what I'm pronouncing here. I'm saying it. It's happening. But in the end, things will change after you change. (laughs) Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. The valley in which you were destroyed you're going to be regathered and rebuilt. Now, do we recognize one head today? You go across America and say, who's our leader? Well, some will say Trump, some will say Biden, some will say AOC, some will say Nancy Pelosi, some will say Muhammad, some will say whatever. Genghis Khan, for all I know. We are not following one God. And each person follows a lot of different gods. Self, sex, materiality, cars, houses, uh, children, on and on it goes. The things we put ahead of God. But there'll come a time when everybody's going to say, Ah, that's God. Let's all follow Him. And everybody will say, yeah, let's do. That isn't America today. We're a nation so totally divided we could not get together to have a antelope race. We're too divided. Say you to your brothers... 
Ami, and to your sisters, Rahama, plead with your mother. Plead. Now, who was their mother? A mattress back whore. That's who their mother was. She had made her living on her back. She was of ill repute. Now, Hosea probably was up against all kinds of criticism and ha-ha-ha when he married her. But God had a purpose in mind. Now, these kids were getting old enough that God addresses them and says, Plead with your mother, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. So he's saying, I knew what she was when I had you marry her, Hosea. She is the same as she was then. She hasn't changed. She's had your children, but in her heart and mind, she's still a hooker. She hasn't changed. Now, that is analogous of Israel. He says at the beginning, this is all about Israel. And you've been through years now, and this woman has had these children, but she's still the same as what she was when you married her. Plead with her to change. Just as this nation is the same as what it was. We have a few people here and there that talk about re repentance or having a Christian revival. Where do you see signs of that happening? I haven't read anything about it so far. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. So God says it is what it is. I had you marry someone like that because of what she was, because I was trying to get a message across to you, and she's still the same thing she was back then. Nothing's changed. Israel's the same thing they were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. They haven't changed. They haven't repented. And now I'm going to destroy them. I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms, for their mother has played the harlot, she has conceived them, and has done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers, that give, give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Sounds like Revelation 18, doesn't it? The great whore with the wine in her hand, and seeking the merchants of the earth and the idolatry of materialism, and everything but God himself to worship. No difference. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns, and will make, and make a wall that shall not find her paths, and she won't find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall not seek them, or shall seek them, but shall not find them, 
Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. I thought it was right here somewhere. Maybe it's a little further in the context where he says, I will destroy your mother. We'll get to that. Oh, it's down in chapter 4. So it's, it's building up to that. So this whole story he's laid out to show what we today, as a nation, are. All the nations of Israel, Western Europe, Australia, South Africa, wherever Israelites settled, it's referring to all of them in general. But it's going to get specific about this nation as Ephraim in particular. And there we better pay attention. Better pay attention now. So she's looking anywhere but to God for the answer. Biden goes to Putin. Biden goes to China. Biden goes here and there looking for answers. So did Obama. So did the Bushes. So did the Clintons. They're all the same. There's no difference. If you still think Trump was a savior, forget it. He was the one that was helping promote COVID ahead of time and promote the vaccines ahead of time. He's been in on this all along. He was sent there and put there to help divide the nation between conservatives and liberals. He was there not to unite, but to divide. And he did a pretty good job of it. And now that divide is being exploited, and the present group have in mind to destroy those that are on the other side of the divide. So Trump was setting them up to be killed, is what he was doing. He was in the billionaire's club all the way back. Do people forget this stuff? He went to Clinton's weddings and anniversaries and bar mitzvahs. Well, they're not Jews, but whatever. They all are in the same club. They go to the same secret cult meetings and worship Satan. All of them hold up the two fingers of Baphomet Satan. I saw a picture of Fauci the other day. Had the picture of Satan there with however they do it. And there was Fauci with the exact same thing. I didn't care how they do it. I don't even really want to know. But it's close to what I just did. So America is looking for anybody. You think that when food gets scarce, they don't have the things they need? That they're not going to go to anybody to get help? They'll go to a FEMA camp front gate to get food. They'll do anything except turn to God. It's what Americans will do. At least the true God. She's going to go to her first husband. It was better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. God gave us the blessings of this nation. He gave us the most prosperous, 
of land on earth with the most natural resources. Had everything we need, he said there in Deuteronomy 8. Everything we could possibly need we had right here. God gave it. And now we're going all over the world looking for the things we want. Instead of appreciating what God gave us. How does he feel? He looks down here and sees us worshiping the Chinese and the Japanese and the Taiwanese and whoever will make our trinkets for us and help us be prosperous. Our businessmen become billionaires dealing with foreigners and forget that God gave us everything we need right here. So they took all these things that I gave them and prepared them for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness, and now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. Our lovers then look down upon us. And that's often the way it is with fallen women. The customers despise her and look down on her after they get what they want and pay their money and go their way because there's no respect there. So our lovers, political uh, and material lovers, are going to despise us. I will also cause all her mirth, her laughter, to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, representing agricultural wealth, wherever she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, says the Eternal. That sounds an awful lot like Deuteronomy 28, doesn't it? A little different words, same thing. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her, and I will give her her vineyards from there, in the valley of Achor, for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, says the Eternal, that you shall call me Ishai, and shall call me no more Balai. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall be no more remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and all the creeping things, so make them to lie down safely, and I will betroth you to me forever, verse 19. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. I will even betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the eternal. So he's saying... This woman still doesn't know me. She's still chasing her lovers and her idols. But I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to destroy her, and then she will repent, and I will make a new covenant with her. 
then they'll be his people again. It shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, says the Eternal. I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her to me in the earth, not sow her and cast her and scatter her, as he did at the beginning of this book, but now sow her together. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, You are my people, and they shall say, You are my God. So the opening of Hosea shows disobedience and cursing, and then it shows that this will ultimately turn out in blessing. But there's more to the story <laughs> from chapter 3 on than just that. But that's an overview of the evil followed by good. So God lets us know that if we do repent, if we do change as a nation, then there will be God bless America again. But not until all those things happen. So let's leave it there for today.